Waiting for the rain to come. Welcome to Hand of Pod. episode 283 of Hand of Pod. It's lots of episodes, that, isn't it? <laughs> when you say it out loud like that. Um, this week, I'm joined, I'm Sam Kelly, and I'm joined by English Dan. Hello and welcome. I'm just trying to work out how many bottles of Fernet that would be. Because obviously we don't drink one every episode, no. alcoholics as we are. In, uh, indeed, Dan. One every two episodes, maybe three. Dan isn't drinking any Fernet this episode. Well, not yet. <laughs> the night uh, is young, Sam, the night is young. We are in Dan's living room, as some of you might be able to hear, because it does sound a little bit different from my living room. Um, and Andres is here as well. Hello, Sam. Hello, Dan. Hello. Who is drinking for now? Yes, of course. Faithful to the Hand of Pod course. It's a tra- trademark. It's like the sign of... <laughs> Indeed it is. Um, we have a question about that later, so we'll be talking more about Fernet in a little while. But yeah, somebody asked how many bottles we got through in the 275 episodes oh, really? a few weeks back. I, I seem to remember you joined in the Twitter conversation about it. Some rudimentary maths. I can't remember how what the answer was that we came to. Uh, some, a couple of hundred or something like that. Um, but anyway, we will begin, as we normally do, with a roundup of last weekend's results, which look as follows. For some reason, the tab has come up with this weekend's fixtures. I don't know why. They were Olimpo 2, Abstinal de Sarandí 1 in Bahia Blanca. <laughs> the battle of the useless teams. Indeed. Yeah, race to the bottom. Huracan won Estudiantes nil in Parque Patricios. Godoy Cruz won Racing 2 in Mendoza, the shock result of the weekend. Sort of. Lanús won Rosario Central 1 in Lanús. Defensa Justicia won Patronato nil in uh, the match that we picked out. It was probably going to be very entertaining last week and didn't, didn't turn out to be. Really? Defensa yeah. Patronato? Yeah, two teams who like to go forward. Revelation of the tournament. Patronato or something like that, I think. Uh, I, I must have not happened. But it wasn't as good a game as we were expecting. Yeah. End of 1 0 to Defensa Justicia in uh, Florencia Varela. Vélez Sarsfield 1, River Plate 0 in Liniers. Atletico Tucumán 0, Tigre 0 in Tucumán. Chacarita Juniors 0. Belgrano 1 in San Martín. Independiente won Banfield 0 in Avellaneda. Union won Colón 1 in the Clásico de Santa Fe. Boca Juniors 4, San Martín de San Juan 2 down in La Boca. Newell's Old Boys 0, Tempele 0 in Rosario. Tacheres 2, Argentinos Juniors 0 in Córdoba. And Gimnasia y Esgrima 1, San Lorenzo de Almagro 0 in La Plata. We've actually got somebody who went to a match this weekend. No, we haven't, because you didn't go, did you? I didn't go to Mendoza, no, as much as I would have loved to. Uh, I silly, go. silly thing for me to say, actually. But, I could um, have gone, because that was a game where away fans were permitted. Yes, or neutral fans in Mertz. No, I think it was just, they were the just directly away fans. Um, the Racing fans department were selling tickets. Ah. Tickets and, and coach trips. Oh, wow. I think it's about... How much is it? I saw... 
2,000 pesos maybe for the, for the package. There weren't very many there. I, I, I saw the camera, I, I was watching a replay this afternoon because I didn't catch it live, but um, I saw the camera zoomed in at one point in the second half mm. and thought, that was why I assumed it had to be neutral, so it just decided to get a ticket. No, I mean, it's pretty tricky to get to Mendoza on a on Friday, Friday night, yeah. considering most people work Indeed. either Friday or Saturday. As I said, it was one of the uh, shock results of the weekend in a way, because it was the first home match in this league season that Godoy Cruz haven't won. Yeah, but they won their last won eight, eight home games, yeah. Yeah. Um, so not uh, Racing looked very much uh, for most of the match really like they were going to get a point with a 1-1 draw and then right at the very death uh, was it Quadra? Uh, yes. Maxi Pablo Quadra yes. yeah, with the winner he changes um, his name every week we don't really know why what did you make of the uh, the match Dan? it was entertaining yeah it's the first moment the second time I've seen Racing really play this season because I've been on holiday for a couple of weeks and in Chile you don't really get that much Argentine football and I also wasn't allowed to watch much football even when it wasn't available um, and I was impressed uh, so far under Coulet you can see a difference between the team when they're playing at home and when they're playing at away like at home as we saw last night against Cruzeiro uh, which I'm sure we'll talk a bit about later on they're very cavalier they like to get forward with numbers they like to uh, uh, pressure high up the pitch away from home as well but a little bit more guarded um, a little bit more careful but it's a team that's they're set up for attack um, and a funny snippet of information before I go really into analysis um, the two best home teams in the league Boca and Godoy Cruz have each only lost one home game and that home game on both occasions has come against Racing. Huh? By the scoreline of 2-1. Remember in the Bombonera, goes from Triverio and Lautaro Martinez. Uh, put away Boca in the match where Dario so that Benedetto... Uh, no, back in... In the, in the Boca Bom- match, Bombonera, you said Triverio? Triverio and Martinez, yeah. Oh. The up? game where it's Benedetto up, did his cruciate scene. Um, yeah. round that was, no? I'm pretty sure it was an st- assist from Lautaro Martinez and goal from from Solari, the second one. Mm, we'll see, we'll see. I remember it being Trivelia because it's one of the few goals he scored. But anyway, whilst I looked, oh, I'll crack on. It was another game where Ricardo Centurion had a big impact. That took his, he scored the, the opener for Racing, which I think took him up to. Three goals and three assists in his opening five games. Sorry to interrupt, but Lautaro Martinez and Augusto Solari, according ah, Solari. to uh, the statistics website I'm looking at. That's right. Sorry, Dan. That's all right. Just as like, long as the uh, goals went in. Just Carry like on. last night. Yeah. I remember Triveri, I think, gave the assist to Martinez for yes, the first yes. one. Sorry. <clears throat> ah, memory's not what it used to be. Anyway. Anyway. Friday night. Friday night, Ricardo Centurion picked up his third goal to go with his the two and three assists that he'd already uh, notched since coming back to Racing, and he's really coming back into his own, I think. Uh, he's still quite infuriating when he just starts dribbling all over the place and dancing with the ball. Sometimes it works, and obviously with the lower averages, more, than often, more often than not, it doesn't. But uh, the good thing is he's picked up exactly where he's left off, um, where he left off at Boca after what was it six months or so of virtual inactivity at Genoa um, 
the two Nettys, Neri Cardosa and Neri Dominguez, one spelt with an I, one spelt with a Y. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't really matter which one, because they're pretty similar. Have been a great asset to the midfield and Cardoso as well. Um, came up with the cross, which let in Cuadra for the last minute goal. And all in all, it's been a fantastic start for for Kudet. It's something, you know, Racing are playing bold, attacking football, and it's something we haven't seen for quite a while at the club. And from being, you know, I think in the last half of the table when 2018 kicked off, we're now actually back in the Luetadores places. So, obviously, it's very early and there's still quite a bit to work on. The team's not as fluid as it could be. They possibly rely a little bit too much still on set pieces uh, against Cruzeiro. Again, this game happened last night. Three of the four goals came from set pieces. Um, but once the team gets to know each other a bit better and the open play becomes a little bit more fluid, they've got a got a good chance of having a really, really interesting year. I see Argentina with bills on the bench because it's the same similar t-shirt, <laughs> same <laughs> color, and the, the way of the, 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 the way the team attacks. Uh, the, the other day, Sam, the last episode, he said that uh, against uh, Lanús was, they had 20, 20 uh, goals, on, goals on target. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. 21 or 22, yeah. uh, Which is imp- impressive. And uh, uh, I uh, particularly was impressed by the performance that uh, Neri, one of the Neri's, Neri Cardoso is showing. Mm. Because I remember that when he played for Boca, he, he had uh, some like uh, quality, but uh, he was accused of being having the, the, his chest a bit cold. And uh, right now he's, I think, uh, showing something different. And the, the signings have adapted well to Racing in a very short time, something that hasn't happened to River. Uh, no, and I think we can also draw it back to something you may not have covered on the pod this year, uh, because I haven't been on it essentially, uh, which was the second big signing for, for Racing in the back room after Cudet. Uh, Diego Melito came in as technical secretary, which is sort of a director of football positions, and he's the guy who's really been coordinating the transfers and this kind of... Um, Kind of off-field duties, you know, working very closely with Colette. And again, you know, we've had six games. It's really early, but you look at the five or so players Racing brought in the off-season, and four of them at least, um, no, five of them out of the six are already, you know, undisputed starters. Uh, Sigali, Donati in the middle. In the middle of the fence, Cardoso, Neri Dominguez, the two Neris in midfield, and Centurion. And we've also got uh, Gonzalo Piovi, the, the youngster from Argentinos, who came in against Lanús, I believe, in an unfamiliar position in the middle of the fence, and he had a really good game. Yes. So you're talking about five out of six of your signings coming straight in and doing well, and another, another one who's not had that many chances, but has looked good when, when he's come in. You can't really argue with that. That's essentially what a director of football and needs to do, and it's what Melito so far has has managed. And Lautaro Martinez is the, the, the I, I feel all right. Well, it was something that happened, not something I feel. He, he looks uh, play better when Sampaoli is watching him in the stadium. He scored another hat trick because I think 
the other match in which uh, Sampoli was in the stands, he also uh, scored three. Yeah, he scored three against Huracan in that first game Sampoli went to. And I believe Sampoli was in the stands another time where he played really well. Uh, it was a game against Lanús, I believe. He was in the stands, Lautaro played very well, but didn't get his goal. And should we just crack on with the Libertadores game now? Since we're pretty much there. Yeah, because I, I was actually going to say when you were talking about who, um, which players have looked good, that is relatively speaking in terms of the defence, because mm. the defence can be a little bit shambolic, as, as we discovered last night, when a frankly not particularly good Cruzeiro side managed to put two goals past. Albeit one of them was from an astonishing free kick. Um, but the attack is... is Quite strong. It's pretty strong, yeah, it's pretty strong. Um, for those who didn't know, Racing beat Crusader 4-2 last night. Lautaro Martinez got a hat-trick uh, and said even and said after the game he wasn't particularly pleased with how he played. He feels like he gave the ball away in, when he didn't have to, that he missed a few chances. Which, yeah, I have to agree with him, to be honest. He wasn't the kind of... He didn't show his standout form that he that he often does, but your centre forward you want him to score goals, and that's what he's doing now. He is such a good talent, and I've been saying it ever since the start of 2017. I think where he came came into the team when Coca came back for his second spell, he had a really good year for Argentina under 20s, despite all the problems that under 20 team had with management and. And God knows what else. Uh, he had a, a metatarsal break, which set him back. But he hasn't really looked like he was ever away. And just looking at him, it seems that he used that time off the pitch to work on his muscle mass. He looks a kind of a stockier player, a heavier built player. And if you watch, it's extremely difficult for any defender to get him off the ball without fouling. And that's essentially what you need your, your strikers to do uh, if you're not um, getting past the defender at least get a free kick out of it um, today it was all over the kind of the sporting news that he's uh, shooing for San Paolo's squad in March it looks like him which and which is being announced tomorrow which is being announced tomorrow uh, they said that him and Cristian Pavon are likely to get in and Mauro Icardi Paolo de Valer are are going to be out which I wouldn't read too much into as you know he's out of the World Cup or they're both out of the World Cup because Gonzalo Higuain's another one who hasn't been that involved in the squad well, and he looks to be a shoe in for Russia. Lombardi said that uh, he won't Carusa Lombardi I honestly couldn't guess what Carusa Lombardi says no offence the smoke machine doesn't interest me um, so yeah his emergence has been uh, stunning to watch as a Racing fan and as a football fan. I don't think there's any question now that he's the best striker in Argentine football. And I really think, and it's something I've maintained uh, from the start really, that he has the talent to be to be one of the best in the world. I would agree. And um, one of the reasons that we saw that as well was the attitude last night when he was asked about how happy he was about his hat-trick and his mm. Man of the Match award. And he said, actually, I'm quite pissed off with myself <laughs> because I missed a bunch of easy chances. Um, he which the ball, scored a hat trick on your company uh, but he left the ball when they were 1-0 one, one and uh, well right after that Crusader scored the equalizer mm. um, and that shows that he's, he's not satisfied himself with uh, what he's doing even when he's scoring hat tricks which is promising it is yes for the future 
Uh, Funny Randy Sean could show that's kind of self-criticism criticism when he makes his 50 mistakes again for Racing. Hmm. Which he will be playing in the Luetores now because Renzo Sarabia will be probably banned for two or three matches after a horribly needless, vicious tackle. It was right horrendous, that, yeah. Why did he do it? It was the very, very two, lucky. Two goals up, coasting through, and he just... He was incredibly lucky, well, and more to the point, the guy who he tackled, or, or, or the guy who he felt was incredibly lucky, that he hit the back of his knee, so the, the knee bent. Yeah. Because if he'd gone into the shit, that would have been absolutely horrendous. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, anyway, two decent, well, two decent results, and one... Decent performance at least going forward for for Racing mm-hmm. um, in the last few days. Going back to the Super Liga weekend, uh, what else did we catch between us guys of these matches? I watched a very entertaining game between Boca and San Martin, mm. which in, which involved the other player I've just mentioned, who's probably going to be involved in San Paolo's Argentina plans, Pavon, who was for me man of the match. Thought he had an extremely good game alongside Carlos Tevez. And yeah, it was a bit of a roller coaster in in La Bombonera. Actually, it looked like Boca were gonna walk it. They were two 0 up after, after, nine after about nine minutes, and then San Martin came back. There was some more refereeing controversy because we all love for a change. We all love that. We all love referees spending the whole week with with the spotlight shined on them. The refereeing in that match, it has to be said, was it was atrocious. absolutely horrendous. Yes. Uh, so both teams the first thing is Boca's opening goal which Carlos Tevez scored with fantastic technique volleying in a a rebound that was a good um, from a um, an Edwin Cardona shot which which the goalkeeper failed to hold Um, Cardona was was just offside in the build up but I mean just millimetres he was it was it was really close no that that opening one was Um, you might be thinking of the Godoy Cruz goal which we'll get onto later against River which was a yard off um, but um, so there was a sort of marginal but it all happened very quickly and, and it was tight margins in it and you can understand why the lines would miss it if it weren't for the fact that everybody is so willing to spot a conspiracy towards Boca uh, well in favour of Boca Juniors um, and then there was something else that happened later in the first half I think and then in the second half there were there was definitely one and La Dose Twittera claimed there were two um, clear penalties that Boca should have had and that weren't given <laughs> One of them was like the, the one that I actually saw was like, yeah, that's um, that's quite difficult to see why the referee's not awarded that one, and we, that's the point where you start to think, you know, people are so willing to to get the referees are all biased towards Boca. Maybe it's just that the referees are all shit. The standard yeah, or generally they make mistakes like any other referees. Yeah, um, it's I don't say it's suspicious because I have talked about this the other the last episode, but uh, yes, they are they are shit and. Well, these these things will be, will main re, uh, be kept in the air because, uh, well, uh, there there are a lot of times in which the other teams are, are perhaps uh, given in solid uh, uh, place and, and decisions, and in this case, well, Boca had an, an upside and wasn't uh, decided. Well, the perfect example of the whole hypocrisy of the entire league is the Lanús president, Russo, when River came out in the Libertadores semi-final saying, ah, they were robbed of a penalty, that mm. the VAR was a complete invention. Russo came on, on TV, all cocksure, all 
all puffed up and said, ah, no, they should go crying to their mums, they should go crying to the church. And then, you know, fast forward six months or so, Lanus don't get a, a clear-cut penalty against Racing. And he starts crying, saying, everyone's against Lanus, the referees are shit. Listen, yeah, the referees were shit when River were, were fucked, mm. and they're shit now when you were fucked. They were shit before when Racing didn't get penalties. So, you know. Exactly. Cry um, if you want, just don't start anyway, I think that giving it the big Superliga one. Superliga is, is decided. Uh, mm. Provided Klaus yeah. and Renzo play the, against Gimnasia, uh, now we are in condition to say that because... Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, the first thing I wanted to say as well was that we've had, after a couple of weeks of discussing how Boca having to scrape by and, and haven't been playing so well at the start of 2018 as they were last year, um, although San Martin managed to score two goals against them... Um, and, uh, and really gave it a good go after that initial early flurry, which has become something of a Boca hallmark so far this year. Um, they looked a lot better, Boca did, in, in attack again. Uh, much more clinical, much more uh, lethal. They scored four goals with four different players, I believe. It was Tevez, then Pavon, then Naitan Nandes, who scored a really nicely worked. Yes, I mean, his, his finish was very simple, but the, 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 the build-up for it was, was lovely. Um, and then the Ramon Avila scored one last one. Yeah. After a slightly less intricate build-up, uh, to put it kindly, it was uh, yeah, that was some Martin just look, you know, pushing up, going for it, and some Martin decided to play a standard sort of brilliant first touch and then a confident finish. Sorry, Andres. No, no, some Martin decided to play. I like Boca wasn't Boca, and uh, like the same way. And uh, I thought it would be, it would end up in a suicide by suicide by, by San Martin, but uh, they finally. Was were decent and, and only uh, ending for two because Boca could have really uh, scored eight if they wanted. Yeah, indeed. Um, but yeah, it was as Dan said at the start of that discussion, a tremendously entertaining game. Um, moving along the big five, I mean, I just mentioned the, the decision that went against River, so we may as well discuss that. Was it, it so that was, sorry, that was, uh, that was a week and a half ago, in fact, in the Godoy Cruz game, which we talked about uh, last week, the Santiago Garcia's goal. Um, but yeah, the Vélez Sarsfield versus Revy game. We said last week that that would be borderline unwatchable, I think, or we strongly hinted it anyway. And indeed it was borderline unwatchable. Both teams were absolutely <laughs> atrocious, which is exactly what we were expecting. Um, and Vélez won 1-0 thanks to a goal, a penalty, was it, I think, from... Robertoni. No, it was open, open play from uh, Lucas Robertoni. Shortly after, Enzo Perez had been sent off for another stupid double yellow card. Um, what I found interesting, however, was not so much the game itself. I mean, apologies for not going into the details of the game itself, but really, there's not very much to talk about. Let's have a very quick look at the stats to underline this point, because I guarantee you this will be the tale of a boring, a boring game. Vélez had three shots on goal, including the goal. Shots on target, sorry, including the goal. Uh, River had two shots on target and hit the post once and apart from that both sides just had a bunch of shots from long range that went high and wide um, but what was the difference in the River team because I watched them at home to Gole Cruz and yeah they shipped two unforgivable unforgivable goals but they looked decent in attack that Mora Prato Lop duo was fluid it worked well they got forward they had shots so why well, when going to Vélez who were pretty Terrible, to be honest. Why did they suddenly go back into their shell and not put three passes together? What's going wrong? Fernando Quintero went onto the pitch with 
17 minutes to play. Mm-hmm. That's when, a mistake. When he should have been put on the pitch with 90 minutes to play. And Nicolas de la Cruz has looked fairly decent at times, but, I mean, he was appalling. I think he's suffering, uh, particularly de la Cruz is suffering from something I, I mentioned from uh, Nene Cardoso when he was at Boca, which is that he has no, you don't know uh, uh, whether he will uh, put things, I mean, uh, when you are not good with the ball, you have to put different things, uh, which perhaps is not, not enough, but at least you have to put it, and mm. it's like, like he, he even, even interrupted an attack, clear attack by River, by committing, by making a foul, grabbing mm. uh, uh, the t-shirt of a rival, when, when Mora was just going into the box, uh, and he was uh, uh, in the middle of the, of the field. Uh, so uh, the, the cameras weren't there because they were following the attack, yeah. and the referee stopped the, the play just to to uh, award the, the, the free kick for Belles and uh, show a yellow card to De La Cruz, mm. which is incredible uh, with the difficulty that River has to, to to attack and to start well to at, le- at least to approach the box of the rival. If you do things like this, is showing that you are a bit disconnected and not very concentrated in the match. Yeah. Um, but I, I genuinely I don't have a clue why why Quintana uh, why Quintero didn't play um, from the start. I can only assume that he was being safe for tonight when River made their Copa Libertadores debut against Flamengo. Um, but yeah, I mean that didn't help. But even then, it, it's just poor planning and a team in poor shape. I think as much as anything, you, you can't put it too much on individuals when the team as a whole are playing poorly. Um, but the thing that I found interesting more than what went on in the game, as I was going to say a minute ago, uh, was that first of all, after the match, immediately after the game, when he was talking to the television um, cameras, Enzo Perez, rather than ranting and raving about the referee and how all the officials are conspiring against River and how Boca were paying the referee to send him off and so on, said, I want to apologise to all of River's fans and to my teammates for getting sent off. It was stupid and the defeat was my fault. And then in the press conference afterwards, Marcelo Gachardo said, this is on me. I need to try to make the team play better. It's a while since this has happened. Um, it's a while since we haven't been playing well. And that's on, on me as the manager. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I haven't heard from River at any point in pretty much this season of them playing. I mean, you know, we, we have been talking about this for some time, even when they were verging on you know, the semi-finals of the Copa Libertadores. There was a certain aspect in the league, at least, of a chronicle of a death foretold, if I can... Um, get all literary on your asses for a minute very nice, very nice. Um, and it, it's, it's nice to start to see the process of, of River beginning to go yeah we need to do something to improve we can't just carry on blaming the referees all the time they need to take charge basically the different thing in this match against Vélez is that as you said Vélez didn't do a lot of things Vélez uh, never do much to be <laughs> but they, 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 they were kids running and they they managed to play better than River, slightly better, not uh, a lot better, which means that River is oh, even lacking, uh, they lack even of, of that, of the, the eggs, balls, how, yeah. how, how are you, you can, the way you can, you can say it. Uh, and the players also said this uh, for them, I mean, uh, they, they met and they said, this can't happen again, uh, we have to run at least. Uh, this can happen again because uh, uh, even the kids, of, I think uh, Cáceres, one of the kids that played for Vélez, said that they, of course you can say that after winning, but uh, that they, sh- they saw that River was like 
not uh, they, they didn't know what to do and they were like uh, disconnected this mm. this uh, so that's the perhaps different the only different thing from past matches yeah indeed um, Venice Sarsfield manager meanwhile Gabriel Hainsey uh, didn't really give a press conference after the game he walked into the press conference he sat down and he said everybody I'm really sorry uh, I'm not going to answer any questions I'm not doing this because I have a problem with you journalists um, but I am doing it because I want to give the floor and all the microphone as it were to the players and allow them to talk because this was their win which is an interesting way of managing afterwards uh, some of the press corps took this better than others predictably um, some of them didn't believe him when he said that it wasn't a problem uh, that he had with them anyway Heinz uh, has a historic uh, thing of hating uh, he doesn't like giving interviews yes. yeah. he's quite a spiky character yeah. um, he, he promised so. in this press conference he said look anybody who wants an interview if you come on to a training session next week I'll give you all the interviews next week that you want <laughs> but right now I want to uh, allow the players to talk I, I should have looked up before recording this whether he actually had followed through on that promise and whether he's been giving interviews all week um, but we shall uh, maybe try to find that out in the break. Um, the other members of the Big Five who we haven't covered yet are Independiente, who, in a clash of two teams who the previous midweek had suffered continental heartbreak, beat Banfield 1-0 with an absolutely fantastic goal from the man whose penalty miss um, was what handed Gremio the Recopa last Wednesday night, Martin Benitez, who ploughed one in from about 25 yards out. Um, in a match that was otherwise, I'm just trying to remind myself actually because I no Independiente could have had half, ten. Had half my attention. Yeah, I thought that. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was typical Independiente basically. They had twenty-five chances and put eight one on away. target. Yeah, there eight on go. target, eight off target. Banfield had one on target and one that hit the post. There you go. Um, one out of sixteen. Yeah. I saw a stat the other day actually. It was something like in two thousand eighteen so far, Independiente have taken something along the line of 90 shots and scored five goals this was before that this year so that's not this This season this year we can have a look at something like that it's an estimation these are the season long statistics Independiente unsurprisingly top the um, the table for shots taken Uh, they have taken 202 shots they are Second, only by one goal, mind you, from Defensa Justicia. See, we told you that Defensa Justicia mm-hmm. played attractive football now, uh, who've taken two other Then again, shots. River out there, and they don't play. <laughs> yeah, they are. Football, so. One of those seems to be from midfield, though. So. Um, I wonder where Patronato are. Patronato is second bottom with 115 shots, but they have the division's joint top scorer still. Um, but yeah, well done, Independiente. Hard luck, Banfield fans, who've uh, mm-hmm. suffered two disappointments in a row now, but maybe they'll get back to winning ways this coming weekend. And they going to the uh, Sudamericana, Banfield? Oh, that's a good question, actually. I've forgotten about that, because last year the, the losing teams in the third Libertadores quite I believe around, they did, didn't yeah. They, yeah. So oh, they, they might they be did. going into the next leg, but I can't remember. We'll look up later. Um, in the other member of the Big Five who we needed to cover, and who indeed deserves some coverage, because, of course, they are in the title race, in as much as there is a title race, oh, are well. San Lorenzo, who perhaps pretty much ended the title race really by losing 1-0 to Gimnasia La Plata with what I think I only really caught the last half hour or so of it myself I had but it in the background it looked saw, a pretty surely game it was to be honest. probably San Lorenzo's worst performance of the season um, judging what Mariano put on Twitter as well he seems to agree when, when, I, when I got the TV on they were already 1-0 down I, I see now that they had only just fallen 1-0 down about 5 minutes earlier um, and they did almost nothing for that last half hour. 
or indeed all game. Look at that, five shots all match of which one was on target, which is not what you expect from San Lorenzo, who by and large have, have been a strong, well-organised and, and freewheeling team going forward. Um, not helped by Paolo Diaz's red card, but that was only with eight minutes to go. So They also lost Ruben Bota the previous week. They did. He scored the goal and yeah. was injured. And he's been pretty important for him. I mean, he picked out Quintero's absence on the starting lineup as one reason that River weren't that great against Vélez. Should a team be relying that, that strongly on one player? Especially a team who are looking to get a win to go second in the table. Probably not, but in practice, mm. when a player, you know, when a creative player goes out, there is sometimes a, a chain reaction. It and was. Not that much. Uh, Creative potential in that team, I must admit. No, Bellucci is, is past it. Um, I think he has been for most yeah. of this season, really. And yeah, the others, Piris Damota, Kinyon, more defensive-minded. Yes, really yes Mariano, complaining about this, saying that uh, with Kinyon, and well, I don't know if Castro also played, but uh, if Kinyon and Castro played in the midfield, that will end in the um, uh, Ronaldo uh, clearly winning the battle there. Mm. The double five, which yes. gives you absolutely nothing in the end. Gimnasia are um, six unbeaten with five wins and a draw after that San Lorenzo win. So it perhaps shouldn't have been that, confu- uh, that surprising. But given the other teams um, who they had been beating in that, that run, Vélez, Patronato, River. Patronato, you've just told me, were Bar- the Barcelona of... Uh, I don't of think we used exactly... <laughs> Exactly. Uh, they they play decent stuff, and we were expecting it to be a good game, is what we said. Fair. Um, but yeah, they are. Um, they, they've lost two games at home this season, but those were their first two games at home of the season. And since then, as I say, they they've not lost any. So you know, it, it wasn't like we were expecting San Lorenzo to walk over them. Um, but we were expecting, or I was at least expecting them to win. Um, and so it's a little bit surprising that that Himnasia win. So how does that leave the title? Is it well, Tacheres, the, the other thing, team that are going yeah, to challenge? That, the other thing that doesn't help San Lorenzo is that Tacheres won with a 2-0 win against Argentinos Juniors just a couple of hours before that Gimnasia-San Lorenzo match. Um, the goals there came from Juan Ramirez and from Santiago Silva, who with that goal apparently has become the all-time top Uruguayan goalscorer in Argentine oh, yeah. football history, overtaking Enzo Francescoli. I only realised Santiago Silva had gone to Tacheres a couple of weeks ago when I was kind of flicking yeah. through channels, you know, when you're watching matches but you're not really watching them. Then I see this, you know, this big bald head come up. I was like, oh, that looks like Santiago Silva. What the hell is Santiago Silva doing in Tacheres? Yeah. Is that about 10 different Argentine clubs he said now? Something like that, yeah. It must be. Well, we'll try and look it up at the break and, um, and let you know. So the questions we have to have answered. But overall, um, a, a solid professional performance from Tacheres I thought but obviously they're at home to Argentinos who are not a stronger side um, they they played on the counter attack in spite of playing at home in that the, the, um, Argentinos really dominated the ball but Tacheres did a lot more with what they had of it um, and fully deserved the victory from uh, I've not caught the whole game I should clarify but I've, I've managed to see a couple of sizable chunks of it since it was first played um, so yeah what this does to the table that's the home table. I was getting very confused for a split second there. Um, is it means that Boca Juniors are top with 43 points. Tacheres become the only other team to have so far got into double figures for victories this season um, from 17 games with 10. Um, 
10 wins and 34 points overall. San Lorenzo, who still have that game in hand, which is going to be played against Independiente due to the first leg of the Recopa when Independiente has to be postponed, have 31 points. So San Lorenzo could still go... I mean, they're probably not going to beat Independiente by five goals, aren't they? So, so they could still go second or, or third, but only behind Tachera's on goal difference. Independiente fourth, though. So, you know, equally, when that game gets played on the 4th of April... It could see those teams leapfrogging if they both match each other until then. Racing 5th with 28 points, or Akam 6th with 28 points, Godoy Cruz 7th with 28 points. Um, the top 5, by the way, in the Libertadores qualification places, because we're now looking at a copy of the league table, which mm. tells us this. And down to 11th is the Sudamericana spot, so we'll go down to that. 7th Godoy Cruz, 28. Belgrano at 8th, also with 28. Union at 9th with 27 points after that uh, late-ish equaliser in the Clásico against Colón. Uh, Estudiantes also have 27 points and Colón themselves are 11th with 27 points so if River Plate are looking to qualify for the Copa via the league next season or qualify for a Copa via the league next they season they need to pull their finger out then they need to make up 10 positions in the league and 8 points because they are down in 21st place well the number of points is the same than last week but they promised the number of teams and I, I remember uh, well, not exact the, the, the exact year, but uh, 96 or 97, in which uh, Boca was, we all, we all said that uh, was already a champions, and uh, Vélez finally ended up uh, winning it. Uh, I think it was with Carlos Bianchi. Bianchi's Vélez, I was going to say, yeah. In the bench. But uh, now, the way that <laughs> things are now, I think that, uh, no. Mm. It's difficult to see anybody but, but Boca closing in on it now, yes. even with 10 games still left to play. Um, so the intrigue is going to be elsewhere in the table uh, Union Colón by the way was annoyingly played at the same time as Boca San Martín so I'm assuming that neither of you managed to get to catch it I did not no. I, I had it streaming in a corner of my computer screen whilst I was watching the other game um, on the television but inevitably you end up paying more attention to the match that's on the TV and that's really good mm-hmm. and paying less attention to the much less interesting match um, even if it is a derby uh, but what happened in that, to give our listeners a very quick overview of the game, um, was that, slowing down in order to let the page load, Marcelo Correa opened the scoring five minutes before half time, uh, and then there was an own goal from Guillermo Ortiz, which was celebrated as if he had scored it by. Ooh. Someone. I think it was Mauro Piton. Uh, I just caught it sort of as it, I happened to be looking at but the, the it, screen when it went in. But I it was a cross that, uh, that bounced in. Ortiz uh, connected as if he were the, the striker. Mm-hmm. It was a, a golazo. Yes, yeah, yeah, it was a clinical finish, but just unfortunately at the wrong end of the pitch for him. Um, but yeah, other than that, it, it wasn't a particularly exciting game. For a Santa Fe Classico, however, what we do have to praise everybody for is the fact that it finished. There were no incidents. It finished roughly when it should have finished. No deaths, no, stoppage time. no injuries. There was no reason for the referee to hold things up by 20 minutes at any point. Um, so well, well done, people of Santa Fe. Talking about Clásicos, there is a, something important about regarding the Supercopa, which, of course, is, for you it is no important, has no importance, but in Argentina, they say that it's the most important match between River and Boca in history after the huh. final they played uh, uh, some, a lot of time ago. Uh, which is that the organization Salvemos al Football asked for it to be cancelled. Yeah, for security reasons. It's going to be played in Mendoza. Um, it would, well, I say it's going to be played because it looks very much as if their um, legal 
challenge to it taking place uh, has has been slapped down by a judge. Um, but yeah, they they put that petition in yesterday, didn't they? Was it yesterday or was it today? Or the day at the uh, before yet? Um, and yeah, that's that's happened. But it looks like it's not going to be yeah. actually cancelled. Um, with both sets of fans there, obviously, and with the security uh, being what it is, which is which well, is why they were. The reasons are the things we know. It's going to be a fun kind of sneak preview, and what's going to happen every year with the Libertadores final, right? Once it goes to a single final, <laughs> two teams descending on a random city. It's trying to keep for me. It's silly, it's silly even to go to from to Mendoza to play this match with both both uh, the crowd of both teams going to the to that province at the same time. Which is, of course, well, on the same road. Yes. Yeah. I mean. Put it in Racing Stadium. Send Boca's fans over Ponte Porreón. Uh, Rivers fans round the General Pass. And it's fine. Mm. No it's, it's not hard. No, indeed. Um, the Libertadores final, by the way, we, we mentioned on last week's um, podcast, there were rumours that it was going to be switched to a one, one match in a neutral venue. That has now been confirmed. It was actually confirmed the day that we went online, or the day after, slightly annoyingly. Um, and um, Lima is the favourite, along with Santiago de Chile, in second place to claim the 2019 final. Um, that's going to be from 2019 till 2022. So we're going to have four Copas Libertadores um, decided in neutral stadia, and then Conmebol will take a decision in the longer term after that, hopefully they decide to stick with the two-legged final to revert to the two-legged finals because it's not going to be the same. I'm not getting my hopes up. Um, but we'll see what happens. Uh, the relegation table, Chacarita Juniors are still bottom of it, obviously, having lost at the weekend and being bottom last week. Uh, Sinal is still second bottom of it, again, obviously, because they lost. Tempele also lost, didn't they? Um, I can't remember. They drew against Nils. Well remembered. Um, but they are still third bottom and Olimpo are still fourth bottom Vélez Sarsfield's win against Riba uh, does not lift them off fifth bottom but it does just obviously open up that little bit more of a gap uh, oh no sorry it means the gap stays the same doesn't it because Olimpo won Indeed. against Arsenal um, so it means that Vélez managed to maintain uh, I apologise that 12 point gap um, to Olimpo uh, right after Olimpo just played the one match of this, the whole season really where they must have felt they were guaranteed the win and indeed got that win so hard luck Olimpo fans um, Tigre now level on points with Vélez um, and Huracan just one above them so Vélez could if they can put another win or two together leapfrog a couple of other teams as well and but Olimpo are way back right? Yeah, exactly. Olimpo, that's what I'm saying. They've played well, the same number of games as Vélez and they're 12 points behind Vélez um, so essentially the relegation, the whole relegation battle is likely to be decided because of how awful Chacarita are that even if they start winning now, they're not going to be dividing by enough um, matches to make a difference. The, the four relegated teams could be decided in the next, effectively, I mean, not mathematically necessarily, but they could effectively be decided in the next month. Um, which obviously could include Arsenal's first ever relegation from the top flight, albeit not their first ever relegation in, in, in contra of what a lot of Arsenal fans and other non-Arsenal fans will tell you. A lot they of Arsenal relegated. fans, it sounds like an oxymoron. And proportionately speaking, proportionately. They, they were relegated in the 80s. Yeah, yeah, From the third division, no, the second division to the, no, third division to the fourth division. Um, <laughs> something that not a lot of people seem to know. 
We're going to take a break now and refill our glasses. And when we come back, we will answer a couple of listeners' questions. And what was it that we said we would have to search for during the break? Can you remember? Uh, Santiago Silva. Santiago um, Silva. Argentine teams to play for. Yes, we will do that. So don't go anywhere. Santiago Silva's clubs are as follows Central Espanol of Uruguay, River Plate of Uruguay, Defensor Sporting of Uruguay, Corinthians of Brazil, Nacional of Uruguay, the River Plate of Uruguay again, Energy Cottbus of Germany, Beiramar of Portugal, and then in 2005 he joined his first Argentine club, mm-hmm. Newell's Old Boys. That's one Argentine club. You're counting the total, I'm counting yes. the Argentine clubs down. Central Español of Uruguay, again, for the second time, I think. Gimnasia y Esgrima La Plata of Argentina. Vélez Sarsfield of Argentina. Banfield of Argentina. A second spell at Vélez. And then he went to Fiorentina for a rather unsuccessful six months. Um, if I remember rightly, he was unsuccessful, but also didn't really get to play very much. Yeah, um, pretty much. Boca Juniors, who I think are an Argentine club. Um, then Lanús. Then Arsenal de Sarandí, who we'd all forgotten about. Then Banfield, again, for the second time. And then Tacheres, via, first of all, of course, in 2017-18, a spell with Universidad Católica in Chile. That makes eight clubs in total in Argentina. And Dan, how many do you have in total? Sixteen. 16 clubs overall. Uh, did you say he played for Católica as well? Universidad Católica, ah, yeah. 17. 17. Um, He's got a bit of work to do if he wants to catch up with Abreu. But yes, indeed. Uh, yeah. Sebastián Abreu recently broke the world record. It's officially recognised by Guinness. I did check this because a lot of the time these things get reported in the South American media as El Record Guinness and nobody ever bothers to actually inform Guinness that it's happened and so it's not a record but this one actually is luckily we've got our source inside Guinness which helps I, I read yeah. I even um, read that he uh, he wanted to play for his last team in order to be recognised as the professional player with the most teams uh, in well <laughs> so that's particular if you want to play football or just to complain uh, to yeah, we worried about the record. Yeah. He's had a pretty if good career, this, to be honest. But, you know, if you read this, Andres, then from, from somebody who runs a pub quiz, here's the question you have to answer. Can you name the person whose record he broke? Ooh. No. No, the answer's no. going to be no. Uh, it, it's an man called Lutz Fannensteel. Ah, uh, who is, <laughs> he, He's a German footballer um, who is currently a scout for Hoffenheim. There you go. So now you know. Um, and yeah, Abreu's list of clubs is terrifying. Shall I read it out? No, well, I've... lots of Argentine. To, to say lost, something... Only three Argentine clubs. But to say something nice scored. about him, the other day he scored, or night, he scored a very nice goal. Oh yeah? Yes, it was very good. There you go. On, on which stage? Which competition? No, the, the Superliga. For the Cheres, I mean. The other day. I'm oh, sorry, you mean Sebastian Silva? I thought we were talking about Abreu. Sebastian Silva. Yes. 
Um, so yes, that's right. Not Santiago, Santiago Abreu and Sebastián Silva. Those are the players that we've just been mentioning. Yes, yes. or something. Some questions. On to his questions. Yusuf Amin says, "Great to see Dan back. First of all, let's direct a question to a fellow Racing fan. What has Chacho? Uh, what has Chacho changed so far? And are you impressed?" Yeah, I think I touched on it a little bit earlier when I spoke about the two wins that Racing have had this week. Um, he's made, you know, he's put his Chacho trademark on the team, always doing crazy things from the sidelines, jumping about, dancing, weird hand signals, shouting at people. And he's just kind of got this energy, which I think kind of passes down to the club. Um, the racing I've seen under Chacha so far is kind of a, it's a fast team, it's a f- pretty furious team. Sometimes they could benefit from just putting a foot on the ball and, and thinking for a while, but that'll probably come. Uh, and yeah, he's a guy that loves to attack, as I said. And that's the message that's been, been filtered down. And it helps that he's not just trying to play with this philosophy, but he's also brought in the players that will help him do it. These guys, the two Neris, uh, Centurion, and um, one of the big differences as well is you've got the fullbacks and Brassing who are really getting forward and joining the attack. There's some work to do. They could probably take a little bit more time before trying to get the ball into the final third because I've seen on quite a few occasions that the ball goes in and there's not actually anyone there to do anything about it because they're kind of uh, rushing it. Mm-hmm. But uh, so far, I can't complain. We've had six games, five goals, I believe 16 goals scored, which is fantastic compared to, um, to what Racing had to watch Racing fans had to watch at the end of 2017. So far, looks like the, the that energetic way of being is contagious, and the players are like yeah, exactly yeah. They pick it up from from the coach, and that's what they're training, I'm guessing, especially. And to be honest, it's just great to see someone put work in, just put work in on the training field. Because if you watched Racing's second goal last night against Crusader, it came from a pretty neat um, kind of free kick set play and that's something you obviously work on the training pitch and it's so simple but so few teams do it I'm not saying you do it with every single free kick but just to throw it in every now and then to keep the defenders guessing why not they spend enough time on the training pitch to you know, work for a couple of different things to work on the, on the free kicks uh, it is I think wrongly related to peop- to teams that are defensive and only care about the, the free kicks and corner kicks it's not necessarily because to get, point, I mean, yes. Racing are getting a lot of free kicks in corners because they're in the final third and they're forcing teams to foul them and to give away corners. So obviously if you're that kind of team and you know you're not quite connecting every single time in the box as you should do, at the very least, you know, get a corner out of it and make and make yourself out there. I, mean, I don't see any contradiction but between being an attacking team and scoring a lot from set pieces necessarily. No, absolutely. I um, apologise now for the uh, that noise that you can hear. <laughs> uh, Dan's uh, neighbour is having... I think she must be on the phone because I can't hear somebody else talking. I think so, yes. Uh, she's having quite a, a louder than normal. She's probably one of those people who doesn't realise that when you're on the phone, the person can actually hear you. Uh, I think so. just thinks you have to bellow. Um, anyway, at least the Argentine population, if, if I might make a... Horrible generalisation that is. Yeah. 
Something probably like not far out. So. What do you say, Andres? <laughs> Argentine people speak loudly on the phone. Well, it is. Yeah. I think there is something that we say here about women, especially that they talk. Right. <laughs> they, they, they usually talk a lot, and well, this is a, this proves that theory. Well, that's it. Not necessarily proof, but it's, Thanks for it's, covering it's, up it's my evidence. racism with sexism. It, it's, it's evidence that builds <laughs> a, um, a hypothesis. Uh, Luis Bessone also has a question about <laughs> Chacho Caldet. He says, is Chacho still wearing that stupid scarf? He's not, but I was surprised to see him in Mendoza last Friday wearing a pretty yeah. heavy puffer jacket. Mm. And I was like, I looked up the temperature in Mendoza. It was kind of a balmy 20 degrees, 21, and you're kind of down on the pitch side. Evening, Had it been yeah, 20 yeah. degrees earlier in the day? No, no, it was 20 degrees oh, well, okay. at that time. I was like, really, Chacho, is unnecessary? I mean, I haven't, no, I haven't seen him uh, sporting the... The polo shirt and, and scarf yeah. combo yet, but in, in getting into defense, March, April, and he'll in his defence as well. Though in, in Mendoza, it could depend if the meteorological centre in Mendoza is in the centre of the city. That that stadium that's up on a hill in the middle of a big park with no other buildings yeah. around it and stuff, it could get quite windy. Yeah, this is um, true. But I thought it would have been a night, funnily enough, for this polo shirt and scarf combo. True, yeah. But you know, he went for the puffer jacket. Mm. A little bit premature, I think, but. I'm not going to criticise him too much. Luis also says, in the last 10 years, Conmebol have slash are moving to strip South American football of its uniqueness and make it more European. First, squads entering the pitch together with kids in tow to stupid music, and now this one-off neutral game crap. Theories aside from blatant money-grabbing for the latter. I mean, first of all, I think the squads entering the pitch together is a perfectly sensible response to things like aerosol gate at uh, yeah. era. Um, I think it's inevitable. But they only do it at kickoff, right? Not uh, from yeah, the no, second half. Once the game started, any sense nah, of solidarity true. goes out the window, obviously. So it could still have happened um, anyway. But um, but yeah, so I mean, I, it has to be a money grab. The 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 one off. Oh yeah, completely. It, it's completely in, against the interest of fans. As somebody pointed out um, on on Twitter, not anybody who I follow. I just saw sort of saw it retweeted. If you're gonna, if let's say this year's Libertadores final is River against, I don't know, name another club. Palmeiras. From thank you, Palmeiras, and it's being held in Lima. Mm-hmm. How many locals are going to go and see that? No, no, not very many. And how many of each clubs, not the Barra Brava or the Torcida Organizada for Brazil, how many actual fans are going to be able to go and see it? None, because the Barra Bravo are going to be given the ticket resale rights. So it's it's directly, you know, it's it's against the and, and that's the main argument for, for me anyway against um, the, the main reason for keeping it. It's one thing to do it in Europe, where you have very short travel times, um, and where not the majority, I'm not necessarily going to say, but certainly a, a significant number um, of, of fans can afford. Um, to to take a day off work or a day or two off work and go and see their team in the, in the European um, Cup final. For the Libertadores, it's a different continent, it's a different geography, it's different social and economic circumstances. There are a whole load of reasons why a two-legged final just makes more sense. Yeah, and there's no like, reason to change it, really. Probably, if the final of the Champions League is played in Munich, um, the finalists are Inter and Real Madrid, the, the same will be packed with yeah. not only Spanish and Italian but I mean, also German yeah. I mean land-based Interfan wouldn't even need to take a day off work they'd just get the train over and back yeah. in the same night well, I crunched the numbers actually for a hypothetical final 
between uh, Buenos Aires club, let's say Boca and Cruzeiro of mm-hmm. Pedro Rizonchi, uh played in Medellin, which is a fairly logical candidate to be a, um, a final host. I've got a nice stadium, Medellin's a beautiful city, it's connected, blah, blah, blah. And the equivalent distance uh, for each team to get to Medellin is uh, the same as travelling from London to Mumbai. There you go. Let's see how many Chelsea fans will go to a European Cup final in Mumbai. Yeah. Um, Earning half or a third of what they do now. <laughs> yes. Yusuf has sent in a question which I suspect he sent in accidentally six months early. He says, predictions on who will win the Libertadores? Fucking clip. <laughs> just started Let's, yesterday. <laughs> we'll go back to that when at least the first round of Greek games are finished. The, last year, I think, is a perfect example of why I refuse to answer this question that early even though this is only the second year of the year round Libertadores. Because last year we spent the whole of the group stage saying River Plate looked really, really strong if they can hold on to Alario and slash or Driussi, then they're going to be favourites for the Copa Libertadores when the <laughs> knockout round starts. And by the time the knockout round started they had lost both of those players who it turned out as we you know, then quite quickly realised their whole attacking philosophy was just completely built around um, particularly with Rodrigo Mora out injured. So it's way too early. Um, I think the only thing we can really say, you know, judged on current group stage form, uh, you'd have to make Racing favourites. And then, yes, after, after one game. The after the, the three, games, three games. The 2014 Copa del Torres, no one in the, in the previous, uh, uh, previous to, mm. to be played, uh, no one will have said that San Lorenzo will be the champions. Mm. And in the 2015 Copa del Torres, yeah, Boca was the first team in qualifying their positions to qualify to the... And River almost went out in the group stage. Yeah, yeah, so yeah it's, it's impossible to, to predict, really. Uh, Yusuf also says which Argentinian side will make it the furthest, which, although I still think it's very early, I think that's a, a slightly fairer question that we can at least have a go at answering. Well, yeah. Boca. Boca, yeah. Uh, Racing are going to have it very difficult because their group is, is terrifying, essentially. Uh, with, as along with Crusader, you've got Vasco da Gama, and you've got Universidad de Chile, which mm-hmm. are three teams. That but if Boca, if Boca and Racing want to be finalists, try to do it this year because next year they will have to play in Lima probably. And Boca Racing in Lima being the final there, only match, only one match, uh, it will be really a pity. Yeah. Yes. It would. Um, Next question, Luis Bersone, again. Cool. Loads of questions from the same two people. I realised this was discussed last week, however, news was also subsequently presented here in the United States. So this bad idea in every way imaginable seems to be more... Oh, sorry, he's talking about the question we answered a second ago. Um, seems to me to be more bite than mere bark, a dog analogy in honour of the recent Chilean rabbit-hunting pitch invader who will also miss Russia 18. I'm saying this is an excuse for Dan to tell us about this because I missed it. It was obviously just, with Argentine football, but it was funny. Yeah. Just in a Chilean game be- between Huachipato, which is a great name for a club that kind of brings up an, an image of a duck who also listens to cumbia and <laughs> wears baseball caps, which is always good, and Universidad de Concepción, mm-hmm. uh, where I'm not sure what <laughs> happened really. I only saw the fight, I don't think there's video footage, but somehow a dog got on the pitch and started chasing a rabbit which was also on the pitch uh, grabbed it in its mouth 
someone managed to extricate the rabbit from the dog's mouth, gave the rabbit first aid, and Thumper lived. So they all lived happily ever. And they all lived happily ever after. It's very um, Friends of Five and Wood, uh, but have the happy ending, unlike Friends of Five and Wood. Indeed. Uh, Jamie says, we know that the host, hello, and contributors, these two, to the Hunter Pod of Fernet lovers, which is why I made the point earlier that Gun's not drinking Fernet tonight. But, Sorry. but he says, do you also indulge in the South American drink, mate? Oh, no, wait, he's saying, I'm joking. I understood, actually. Do you also indulge in the South American drink, mate? It's always interesting to see Argentine players on team buses in Europe gripping their sherba cup while other players drink water or soft drinks. Uh, yeah, we do. We do. Well, I'm not I, sure I, how I'm professional football. Yeah, I'm not sure how professional footballers manage to drink it so much because, sorry if I'm sharing something very personal, but if I drink a few mad days and then I have to play football, I really just feel like going to the toilet over and over again rather than. No, scoring. but they drink it. More. I'm assuming they don't drink it immediately before the match. Though. No, they I've seen it. I've seen Luis Suarez drink it on the subs bench. Right, That's right, yeah. because. In Europe, there is it's Euro. It's Euro wine. far more yeah. yes uh, yeah. passion with with, <laughs> with Mate, even when they are about to play. But in Argentina, they they drink it more in the concentrations yeah. and the hotel and that. Uh, that's more, not when they are about to play. Basically, but, um, Mate gives you the shit. So then I, <laughs> if that's got anything to do with it, you know. The the answer to Jamie's question anyway is that yes, we all do. Uh, I, I, actually, Andres, I can't speak for. Do you drink Mate? Uh, yes, but I don't prepare it. I only drink it. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Uh, Dan and I certainly do. The other English people who occasionally come on hand with pod, I know that Joel is a big fan. Uh, Peter, I'm not sure. I don't Actually, know. I've never, Peter, ask I've never been around with Peter's forum, have they? So I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, and then of the Argentines, I know that Seba doesn't like it. Hmm. He's a weirdo. He thinks it's disgusting. Um, but others, as far as I'm aware, pretty much everybody else who's hmm. been on hand with pod does. I know that Tony does. But if you don't like it because it's quite bitter, you yeah. kind of. Well, it's not the same as, as the purest of mate say that it's, it's that way. You can add sugar or even terere, which is the perhaps I more Paraguayan uh, version. I, I would take but issue with anybody calling themselves a mate purist and adding sugar. It yes, of course. horrible with sugar. I drink sweet mate. Like really? It. Yeah. Oh, no. I, disgusting. Terere, on the other hand. Or, 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 orange, hot. perhaps. Uh, the orange, how do you say? The, the cascara. The, mm. the peel. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, my girlfriend did that for the first time. Well, uh, she, she did that in front of me for the first time a couple of months ago at the start of summer. And I was like, what is this witchcraft? But it actually tastes quite nice. Um, Tom Robinson has a question. Is there anything Lautaro can't do? Mm. If there is, we haven't seen it yet. Because Indeed. so far, we will see it's been pretty unbeatable. Well, yes, right now he was, wasn't able to play in a World Cup. No. No. Well, yeah. <laughs> True. To be fair, when the last World Cup came around, he was 15 or 16, mm. so he didn't have much of a chance. Uh, Tom also says, also, is there a reason, sorry, I think he means is the reason that Gachardo is staying at River purely to get the five-year experience so that he can coach in Spain? By my rudimentary mouth, he'd have that this June. That's an interesting theory. His mm. new contract that he just signed at River does take him through, as we said last week or the week before, to the end of 2021. So... If that is the reason, then he could have just signed another one-year contract and it would have been much cheaper for any club who want him to get him off River at the end of this season. Um, but it's an interesting theory as to why he's hung around for quite this long. Having said that, if he was going to go into management, the clubs I've heard him linked to most 
sort of frequently are clubs in, in France where of course he mm. played as a player um, and the United States where he also played as a player towards the end of his career he played um, as a player yes I love that redundancy Sam I don't know why <laughs> that's, that's too much and Chile the national team also linked by yes. Chilean yeah uh, true and, and obviously, having played in the States, I'm assuming he speaks... Actually, I, I know that he speaks some English um, and, and has been brushing up on it, or he was brushing up on it a year and a half or so ago, because uh, I have a friend who taught English to people at River Plate. She didn't teach English to him, but she heard that he was looking for lessons. Did he um, teach as a teacher, could you say? She did, yeah, she taught as a teacher. She taught as a teacher. Um, and uh, yeah, so I mean, he, he's been brushing up on his English, and you might think that perhaps that's a move to the Premier League in the future. Mm-hmm. But we don't know. Um, I think France is probably the most likely yeah. entry for him going into exactly because of the Europe, standing because, that he has yes. at um, I want to say Monaco and Marseille, but would it just be Monaco? Did he play for Marseille, or am I making that up? Let's well, Wikipedia him. Yeah, <laughs> not something we should have to do with a footballing figure as well known as Marcelo Rashad especially you guys who are, who are River fans I could be no, excused but I think Marcelo is Monaco I think but he did play for Monaco yeah yes. that's beyond doubt I don't know if it was Lyon I don't know why Marseille has jumped into my head no he didn't play for Marseille it was no. just Monaco yeah just Monaco oh um, PSG PSG, PSG oh, for yes. one season okay there you um, I knew we had more than one French club anyway um, okay so yeah Tom the answer is Possibly, but I don't think that that was his reasoning. But it might turn out to be a bonus of the fact that he's been there for so long. Taco Gol says, What is River Plate's best starting eleven given the current player's form? Oh, God. Nothing even Gacharo knows. He says, Should Mora start? Okay, the answer to the second question is, arguably. Um, actually, yes, I think so. I would have Ecoco and Mora as the front two. With Quintero behind them. I'm starting from the front and going backwards for a No, Prato? No, on current form, as the question asks, no, because Prato has been a massive disappointment for me. But uh, he will play along with, with uh, Skoko and Mora will be in the bench today. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're, but we're not yes. being asked for what we think is tonight, we're being asked for our own best starting 11. So I'm going to go with Armani at the back, Moreira, who apparently is going to be coming back into the starting lineup today from injury. Today? Yeah, I, I saw somebody yesterday anyway saying that he was expected to play at right back tonight. So oh. I'm hoping that's right. If not, then he'll be back soon. And I'm going to put him straight back into the starting lineup because uh, Montiel it does not appear to, still doesn't appear to know what a football looks like, um, in spite of having started the last four or five games for River. Um, reluctantly, because he's been off form a bit, but Maidana alongside Martinez Cuarta at centre back, Saraki at left back. So that's only really one change from the back five, including the goalkeeper. And then I would put in, in midfield. You take I, over the midfield. I, I will include Machado as a right midfielder. I'm not, okay. I'm yeah. not uh, right back anymore because uh, Machado insisted with this um, the other day. Well, it's not just because of the other day, but against Vélez it was no good. Machado then, Poncio um, as a single number five, perhaps it's it's. Risky because he, he he's not fast. Then uh, could be Quintero. Um, no, Nacho Fernandez. No, not now. Uh, no. Quintero, Piti Martinez. Well, not being at uh, this time available, of course. Uh, uh, 
Mm-hmm. And yet, like you say, Mora and, and Skoko, perhaps. Mm. And I, I forget, it's 10 men, I, I, I said. No, I think between us, we've got 11 there. I personally, <laughs> I would go for a, a 4 3 1 2 with Quintero yes. in the hole, and, and I'd want to put another midfielder in there. But um, that it would be a, a sort of combination of what, of what we've just said, and certainly the new signings by and large, with the exception of Quintero, because he's almost not been given a chance to be disappointing. Um, have been really disappointing apart from him I think so far Attila Aydogmus I hope I've said that correctly Attila sorry um, says can we have a few words on Boca's Libertadores chances well they definitely start as one of the favourites they we haven't seen them in action yet they have um, clearly the strongest team in Argentina which means they've got probably the strongest team on the continent given mm-hmm. the relative strengths of the leagues we're aware that the winners of the Copa Libertadores Last year with Gremio. I would um, say that the strongest team in the continent could be Nacional also. Yeah, from potentially. And, and yeah, Gremio, they were Gremio were disappointing last night, but they've kept hold of the, the uh, against Defensor Sporting. I, I should add, uh, they got a 1 1 draw away. They took 80 minutes to score, and then when they did, they conceded an equaliser two minutes later. Uh, it was quite funny. Um, but uh, they've kept together the bulk of the side that, that won the Libertadores last year. Um, and and looked strong, if a little bit off colour against Independiente. I suspect that once the Brasileiro starts and they're out of the state championships, now some actual competitive games to mm. get the juices flowing, as it were, that there will be strong challenges as well. Um, but Boca have to be in that that group of the top sort of three or four favourites. Oh, say, definitely for the competition. No, no, no. Yes. Um, then we have a question from another question from Jamie, who says opinions on the incoming Newell's manager, Omar de Felipe. I don't want to get too political, he says, but part of me thinks that it's ironic that the club founded by an Englishman will be managed by a Falklands veteran. To which Dan, you replied that it's not the first time. It's not the first time, it's the second time Omar Di Felipe, ex-Malvinas Combatiente, has taken the reins of a club which was founded by an Englishman. And I actually made notes. Look, I'm breaking the whole spirit of Handapod here because I didn't drink for that and I made notes on something. Very disappointed of you, but carry on anyway. I'll, I'll let it stand this time. Just oh. don't do it again. <laughs> the first club was none other than Quilmes Atletico Club. Of course. Who I forgot that he managed them. I was thinking, yeah. hang on, Olimpo, I found a Bayern Englishman. I can't remember this, but yeah, you're right. Quilmes, of course. So he took control of, I can't, what's it, 2012, Something 2013, like that, yeah. somewhere along that lines. And yeah, Quilmes began life as uh, Quilmes Cricket Club. Uh, they were founded by Joseph Thomas Stevenson. And then they became Athletic Club, hence the First, name, right? they had a brief spell as Kilmer's Rovers. Oh. Which is when, like, Kilmer's... Very nice. Uh, like, the modern Kilmer's date their, fan, their foundation back to 1887, which is sort of arguable because mm. they didn't actually play football at that time. They started playing football... In 1898, which yeah, is hence, still... Hence, hence why they were called Kilmer's Cricket Club. And then, no, but Kilmer's Rovers and Kilmer's Athletic Club, that was all kind of in the, mid, the same... Oh, OK, right. Sort of... Uh, they were all playing uh, cricket as yeah. well. But if we take 1887 as their start-off point, mm-hmm. that'll make them older than even the AFA, which was only founded in 1893 by Scott Alexander Watson Hutton. Watson Hutton, yeah. I believe. And another... A little bit of, a little pearl of information about Quilmes, their classic rival is called Argentina de Quilmes, yeah. which was the first club um, 
Founded solely by Argentine, of course, and they were Argentine called, born players. Called Argentinos specifically because Quilmes had been founded by an Englishman. Exactly. And in that time, people, yeah. they wouldn't permit uh, Criollos, people born in Argentina, to play for them. I believe that came in at the start of the 20th century. Yes, because they were the first uh, Criollo, in inverted commas, club to win the league ty- the championship. Yes. After Alumni's long run. And in, the 19, yeah. in 1911 I think it was there is a, apart, apart from that there is a, another Argentino which is the Rosario Argentino Rosario yes and Argentino Aquilmes to tie it all back to what we were just talking about was it with sorry I've forgotten the guy's name De Felipe no the the questioner oh sorry hang on let me get Twitter back up Jamie Jamie was, did Jamie also ask about our drinking habits he did uh, perfect, because Argentina de Quilmes, their nickname is El Mate. Oh, look Just to uh, emphasize their Argentine. I'll be not Quilmes. This is true. El Mate. Wow. There we go. Argentinas, Argentina de Quilmes are El Mate. There we go. Thank you very much for that researched piece of um, talking. That was lovely. <laughs> <laughs> research Ron Matron says, what are the chances of players like Maxi Mesa and Fabricio Bustos for making it into the Argentine national team? I'd say Bustos we possibly has a better chance tomorrow. than Mesa, right? Yeah. Because he's in a position where there isn't and really that many options. He's been called up two or three times already and just exactly. keeps getting injured and that's the main reason he hasn't made it yeah. to the squad yet. Um, but we'll get a much better idea very shortly after you hear this. Uh, yeah. Because as I said already, the, the squad's being named on Thursday. So yeah, I'd say yeah, left back... Uh, Marcos Acuna is in pole position to start there and kind of going back to this spot he used to occupy for Ferro mm-hmm. and kind of left behind when he was at Racing but he's pretty decent there and he gets forward which is always nice to see from a, from an Argentine fullback we haven't had that for a long time could, could be this the, the Messi I think he's too far back right there's not that much chance of him well, getting yeah I He's supposedly he's on the fringes and in consideration but there are just so many players yeah. in that area it happens to be the strongest part for Argentina the, the area that he has been playing in mostly for Independiente which is the attacking midfield strata um, if he was still playing a bit further back then I would say he's got an excellent yeah. chance because uh, Himnasi I seem to remember he was a sort of right wing back or a right wing midfielder depending mm-hmm. on how the game took um, and I think there he would have a fine chance but playing attacking midfield it's trickier I don't, yes. I don't know if this will happen but I will Call up Tagliafico as a left back mm. and Acuna as a right midfielder, a left mm. midfielder, not back. But well, we'll see no. what happens. Um, Liam Kelly says, uh, Good grief, this is a laughable question. Sorry to call this this, <laughs> Liam. No relation to me. Says, Completely non football related, has it snowed during your time in Argentina? Um, yes, it has. In places like Ushuaia and Mendoza and. Um, Lots of other places, sort of down south, Barry Noche. Uh, Let's narrow it down. Has it snowed in a place you've Has been at the time in Argentina? I, 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 yeah, I've been in Barry Noche when it was covered in snow. Oh, really? Um, oh, yeah. yeah, but uh, that was in the middle of winter. Has it snowed in Buenos Aires since we moved here? Has it bollocks? No. Um, you could equally well ask that question of Andres, and he would only be able to say yes on one occasion. In How, how old are you, Andres? Uh, I think it was eight or nine years ago. It was. Uh, uh, I know exactly what it was. It was uh, the middle. It was winter of two thousand and seven. Ah, well, um, eleven that years was, ago. That was the first time in ninety-nine years that it had snowed in Buenos Aires. So I was twenty-seven. And it hasn't snowed since. No. So, no, 
in short, Liam, it is nothing like the snow in the UK, which my mother sent me a photograph of yesterday on WhatsApp. Um, so, yeah. No, we're relatively Russian blizzard free uh, in, in Buenos Aires. It's currently about 27 degrees or something, I think. But it's, I will request... It's probably going to chuck it down raining later tonight. Yes, and I've just realised I've got washing on the line, so if you can bear with me for two seconds. Go for it, Dan. <laughs> I shall... Um, I'm not... The next question actually involves somebody who is from Independiente. So while Dan's not here, we may as well ask I'm sure between us, Andres. Um, Matt says, LMK, if you've already discussed this now, let me know. Oh. Look at that. I'm good at looking at these and working out what they mean. I've never seen that before. It must mean, let me know if you've already discussed this. But what are Barco's odds of getting into the World Cup picture? Are they diminished by playing in MLS? I think it... You could safely say that Ezequiel Barco's chances of being in the World Cup squad are zero, um, even if he'd stayed at Independiente. Yes, because there are just too many players ahead of him. Um, Dybala is being left outside, even uh, yeah. playing for Juventus, and it's similar. You can say the same, but similar position like, like Barco. So yes, no, 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 no possibilities. Welcome back, Dan. Um, Thank you. Washington's inside. Disaster event. Your your thoughts on Ezequiel Barco's chances of making the World Cup this year? Uh, if he's in Atlanta, I don't think he'll be taken into consideration. To be honest, so. while you were out the room, I, I said I don't think he'll be in consideration even no. if he'd stayed at Independiente. No, he's again he's so in a position where Argentina have a glut of talent, um, and right now, even if we're talking about kind of young players on the fringes, he's quite a way behind the likes of Laudado and Bowen Precisely. in I think he will be closer. If he played for Atlanta, the Argentinian club. Possibly. <laughs> Maybe. A um, team that I went to watch last week, actually. Oh, yeah, it was quite did. entertaining. They won 2-0. How are they doing generally? They're the same as always. They're set for a position in the playoffs, the promotion playoffs, and, and they, they most likely will lose. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, they, they hope. And our last question of the week, Sivan John says, the, what's the logic behind Sampaoli's possibility of taking Pavon and Martinez over Icardi and Dybala to the World Cup? Is there any politics within the AFA behind this? No, um, so the second question, no, I don't think there is. The logic behind it, well, tomorrow the squad announcement is for the friendlies against Spain and Italy. It's not the World Cup squad announcement. So, we'll see. We don't know whether it's going to happen still yet. Yeah. Pavon has impressed on the couple of occasions that he's had for Argentina. Um, he has, if I remember rightly, scored a goal and set up a goal or set up two goals or something like that. Set up two goals. Um, think, yeah. And Martinez is in stonking form and you can't really ignore him at the moment. Uh, Icardi, for me, I mean, he's clearly an elite level striker, but when he's played for Argentina, to me, he's been disappointing on the couple of occasions he's had so far. I would still fully support him getting more chances. And with Dybala, you know what you're going to get, and what you're going to get is a backup to Messi. So, yeah, exactly. what's the point in calling him up for a friendly? I do think Dybala is going to be in the World Cup squad. I know that there are one or two people who don't. Mm. I, I think he's going to be there because I think you have to plan for what does happen if Messi goes injured or suspended for a game. And Dybala slots straight into that role. Obviously, he doesn't do it as well as Messi does it, but he does the same thing. Yeah, I've actually floated this argument on Twitter last night, kind of in. In the depths of my, in the grip of my Lautaro mania, of course. Um, why potentially San Pauli could call up Pavon and Martinez instead of Ecarria and Dybala? And 
it kind of it would owe to a, a tactical view as well because obviously no one would say Icardi and Divalo are quality players. Uh, as Sam says, they're elite, but they don't offer something to the Argentina squad that they don't already have. Mm. Uh, Divalo is uh, less good Messi, obviously because no one's as good as Messi, at least on this planet, and Icardi is a kind of a less refined and and less experienced Aguero. Yeah. If, you know, making very, very broad brush strikes, that's it. Whereas Martinez uh, is something of, I mean... Martinez is someone a, who can work outside the than, area, he can work out wide, he can... He's, he's got more than a, a touch lot, yeah. like wearer about him, but he's also, to a massive extent, an unknown quantity for... Exactly, yeah. For the managers, you know, who he's going to And playing, he's so. good in set pieces, which no other Argentina forward is. And I can't remember a single goal scored by an Argentine striker from a set piece. And come the 2022 World Cup, which it's worth pointing out is when San Paoli's contract runs to, mm-hmm. he's going to have a very strong claim if he, if he carries his current trajectory along oh, completely. to being Argentina's first choice number nine. So why not, even if you don't plan on playing him, why not bring him along and sit him on the bench? Yeah. As Brazil did with Ronaldo in 1994 mm-hmm. and give him that experience. And in Pavon's case, basically Argentina don't have another striker who can rip down the right wing and put decent crosses in. Mm. Pavon doesn't always put decent crosses in. But it'll give you two or three again. Exactly. And it's another option. Like I, I believe if you're putting a squad together for a World Cup, it's, just, it's not about just picking the 23 best players. You've got to think, like, right, so if this game's all tied up and I'm not getting anything through the middle, who can I throw on to open the game up on the right? Who, I, who can I throw on to give us more presence in the area? And It's kind of these tactical questions. I believe San Paoli is someone who is obviously a Bielsa and a real student of the game, knows this. And that's why he'd be looking at these, these kind of unknown quantities because he likes the fact that they could give him another dimension if needed. I don't think anyone expects Pavon or Martinez to go into Russia as first choices. But from the bench or if something happens with the team dynamic, they're, they're completely valid choices. Mm. And I think, particularly think that... Uh, Icardi and Martinez being at the same level uh, I think that Argentinian Superliga is more competitive or more harder than to play than the, than the culture and the Serie A of Italy provided the, 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 the defenders that I think Mark are, are, are a bit uh, I don't know how to say but uh, they stick to the mark more here than in Italy at least at least uh, what the, the little uh, matches I watch from from Italy, I see it that way. Uh, so if they are in the same level or similar level, uh, I think that Martins, even being younger than Icardi, uh, he's a step uh, ahead. Hmm. Uh, we have one more question, which I just remember, which was actually sent to us last week by Aidan Dugnan, and I completely forgot because it was sent by email. So I sent him an email and said, uh, please remind me again next week, and he has done. So thanks for reminding Excellent. me, Aidan. He says, which teams would you... It's slightly similar to one of the questions we've already answered, but I'm going to read it out anyway because there's a small difference. Which teams would you expect to do well in the continental competitions this year? Presumably, Boca would be the obvious choice on the basis of the league. You're quite right. As we've already said, for the Libertadores, the obvious choice. But is there anyone else that you think could spring a surprise in either competition? So the Sudamericana, because we talked about the Libertadores earlier. San Lorenzo should be strong in the Sudamericana. I think Lanús and San Lorenzo are both going to be teams to beat in the Sudamericana. 
Um, the other Argentine sides involved are Rosario Central, Colón, Defensa y Justicia. Um, I think that that is it, at least. Oh, and Newell's Old Boys. Um, I don't see any of them doing the same kind of damage. Obviously, Defensa y Justicia did put San Paulo out um, mm. last year. They already played one game at low, and they lost 1-0 at home to America de Cali. So it's going to be tricky for them to get through to the second round. Um, but I think, uh, as, as Dan says, San Lorenzo and Avedad Lanús are going to go a long way in the Sudamericana and are real competitors. The other thing, of course, is that we don't yet know who's finishing third in the Libertadores group and is being parachuted in. Um, because last year it seemed like those were going to be some of the strongest competitors. And the final ended up being Independiente against... Um, Flamengo. Thank you, Flamengo, both of whom, if I remember rightly, had finished third in the group, haven't they? No, Independiente, sorry, Independiente hadn't been. Independiente were the only semi-finalists who hadn't finished third in the group of the Libertadores. And both are now at the Copa Libertadores, of course. Yeah. Uh, in, uh, because they, no, Independiente because they, they won Sudamericana and Flamengo because, well, uh, all the positions in the, in the Brasileirado could be. Mm. Uh, so, yes, uh, they are strong, both. Indeed they are. Um, we're going to play some music now, and when we come back, you'll hear some mystical music behind us, and I will give you... Mystic Paul's predictions for the weekend to come, along with my own, so don't go away. Okay, we're going to whip through these quickly, because uh, Flamengo against River starts in 35 minutes, and Andres wants to get home for it, as indeed do I but Andres has got a bit further to go than me. Here we go. Um, Arsenal versus Lanús. We are both going for a Lanús victory in that one. Belgrano against Patronato. Uh, Paul. Yes, it is Paul. I had a horrible moment there when I was saying it. I thought, no, it's Phil, but no, it's Paul. Um, Paul says a draw. I'm going to go for a Patronato victory. Um, Colón against Huracán. Paul says Colón will win that one. I think it's going to be a draw. Um, Tempele versus Gimnasia. Paul says he's a Tempele win. I reckon Gimnasia are going to win that one. I went for lots of away wins today, aren't I? San Lorenzo versus Union. We both agree is going to be a San Lorenzo victory. Rosario Central versus Godoy Cruz. We're both going for a Rosario Central victory there. Tigre against Tacheres. Paul says Tacheres win. And after thinking about it for a second, I'm going to say a Tacheres win as well. Mm-hmm. Atletico Tucumán against Defensa y Justicia. Paul thinks that's a draw. I think it's going to be an Atletico Tucumán win. Banfield versus Newell's Old Boys. Paul says draw. I think it's a Banfield win. Although I've not looked at when they have to play in the... Um... Oh, they're not playing in continental competition, are they? No. Sorry, Banfield fans. I forgot. Um, Racing against Vélez. Paul says Racing win. I think it's a Racing win. Uh, River against Chacarita Paul is controversially going to call that a River win and I am controversially going to go with him as well if they can't win that uh, Gacharro's got got to resign Donofrio's got to resign everyone's got to resign and they should burn the stadium down and they should burn the stadium and indeed might Um, Estudiantes versus Olimpo Paul reckons that's a draw I reckon it's an Estudiantes win San Martin versus Independiente Paul says it's an Independiente win I'm going to go for a draw because Independiente have got Libertadores football to worry about this week, haven't they? They play tomorrow or something, I think. 
Um, anyway, I'm going to go for a draw. It's a tricky one. And Argentinos Juniors versus Boca Juniors. Paul says... This is a very brave call. No, he's going for a Boca win, as am I. Any fixtures of that lot that particularly stand out to you, gentlemen? Central against Godoy Cruz could be good fun. Possibly. Um, Racing versus Vélez, I don't think is going to be particularly interesting, the way Racing are playing at the moment. Maybe they'll chuck a couple of goals Vélez's way. We can only hope, yeah. We can only hope. Um, Yeah, it's a fairly uninspiring list, really, this weekend. Uh, San Lorenzo versus Union could be tasty as well. So Saturday looks like a better day to watch than Sunday. Argentina, Boca, with Argentina, you don't ever really know what you're going to get. True, very true. Um, Thank you very much for listening, listeners. We're going to get off right now, as I already said. Um, Please join us again next week when we will be discussing all of those matches that you've just heard about, along with some stuff from the Libertadores, no doubt. And keep listening, where I will give you the full-time scores from... Nacional versus Estudiantes, which is currently nil-nil with 20 minutes to go. And, of course, from Flamengo versus River Plate in their Copa Libertadores matches. Um, for now, it's thank you and good night from Dan. Thank you and good night. And from me. Oh, sorry, I'm from Andres. Thank you and good night. I've got far too used to only having one other person with me. And from me. Thank you and good night. Two results to report from the Copa Libertadores tonight. Uh, both draws. Nacional nil, Estudiantes nil in Gran Parque Central in Montevideo. And in the Ingenio, uh, Flamengo and River Plate drew 2-2 in a match. That was a lot worse than that scoreline makes it sound. It was as if all four goals were scored entirely accidentally. Both teams were dreadful.